Good morning, and welcome to Monday Mornings. With Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie. And I'm Morgan. Hello. Hello. Happy birth week. Thank you. So close. I'm going to be a whole quarter century years old. You get to have a crisis. I've been having a crisis for like six months, so... I'm hoping my crisis stops when I turn 25. Mine uh, got worse, but yeah, I'm <laughs> get worse. So I hope yours doesn't. We have an important announcement. Maddie has joined a cult. <laughs> I witnessed. I didn't witness it. I saw the pictures. She fits right in. I fit right in because it was um, the Catholic Church, <laughs> and I was born into the Catholic Church. Uh, no, I, me and my lovely friend Big Al hiked the Franconia Ridge in the White Mountains on Monday, and let me say it is Thursday and my legs are still sore, um, <laughs> but there was a group of nuns with a priest and when we got to the final peak of the ridge they had set up an entire mass so we got to watch a whole mass session go down at the top of the mountain which i mean i respect it nature's very spiritual bye maddie hope you enjoy your life as a hiking nun well of course my dumb ass goes is this, like, a group of, like, ex-convicts or, like, addicts or something? Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just a Catholic church. <laughs> well, because we saw this whole group of, like, a bunch of girls roll up, and they all have bandanas on their head. They're wearing long pants and T-shirts. And I was like, ooh, this looks like an interesting, like, rehab camp. <laughs> Turns out it was just nuns. <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh, you guys with the group? They go, the Catholic church. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> I was like, that's so broad. <laughs> Not right, not even like their specific church, just the Catholic Church. Which one? <laughs> oh, we were actually sent by the Pope. I was like, what? <laughs> That's funny. They are actually angels. It's fine. It's fine. They did well, have very lovely singing voices. They sang oh. at um it was very nice. They sang at Little haystack before they hiked on over to Lafayette, and then they did mass over there. What a day. I know. Very interesting time. Yeah. How was the rest of your week? Uh, it's just been going, you know, been doing tons, not tons of notes, but lots of research and watching videos and whatnot for this episode. How about you? It's been good. It's been really, really rainy here all week, as it has been most other places, but it's, yeah. really, like, it's creating a cozy mood that makes me want to do nothing, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, like, torrentially downpouring earlier, and I was at work, and I was like, wow. Same today and yesterday, and I was working outside, and I was just not interested. <laughs> mm, no, thank you. <laughs> uh all right, now to bring things down a notch. <laughs> First, I have a bit of a trigger content warning. This episode is going to have a lot of child abuse and drug use and child assault and rape and abduction and imprisonment. And so if you don't, 
it's a dark one, folks. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a good one. Episode. I'm assuming you can tell from a, the content warning, but we have a yeah. episode today. It's not super happy, but it's a good one, I promise. So. Yeah. So, Maddie, what are you talking about? Woo! So, this week, I decided to do my second abduction and true crime case. Yay! So... I remember when a lot of things were coming out about this case, and I've always wanted to know more, so I'm going to share all of that with you guys for Morgan's birth week episode. Everybody say happy birthday, Morgan! Happy birthday, Morgan! (laughs) And happy birthday to my dad, whose birthday is, it's five days before mine. Oh. H.P.D. Scott. I know a lot of people with birthdays in August, but years is important <laughs> in relation to this. <laughs> I was going to say specifically for this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, All right. I do so. remember hearing about this case and I don't remember the details. I feel like I only know the name. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you all about the abduction and 18 year long imprisonment that followed of J.C. Lee Dugard. Holy crap, I did not know it was that long. Yeah. There was a bunch of different abductions from around this time period that happened that were, like, very long or, like, weird. It was a weird time for people being abducted and imprisoned for, I don't know, I hate it, but. J.C. Lee Dugard was born on May 3rd, 1980 in Anaheim, California. In 1990... J.C. moved from Arcadia in L.A. County with her mom, Terry Probin, her stepfather, Carl Probin, and her baby sister, Shayna, to South Lake Tahoe. The family moved in hopes of finding a safer community to raise their kids, but sadly, on June 10, 1991, J.C. was taken from the side of the road while, taking, while walking to the bus stop. At the time, J.C. was only 11. She was walking herself to the bus as she had most mornings, wearing her favorite pink outfit with a little pink cat on the shirt. Aww. Yeah. She had been thinking about the upcoming fifth grade class field trip when she noticed a gray car pull up to her and assumed that they were going to ask her for directions. When the man rolled down the window, he tased her, knocking her unconscious. Then oh a woman God. pulled her... What? Said, oh, I was just said, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's awful and then a woman just a, sorry oh it's <laughs> just gonna say, just my reaction that completely interrupted you no it's <laughs> fine i can't hear over myself talking <laughs> it's all good then a woman pulled her into the car and pinned her down to the floor in the back seat some of jc's classmates as well as her stepfather carl witnessed this happen which is just this whole thing is horrifying, but then to be one of those classmates. Yeah, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Like, I was already an anxious child. If I witnessed one of my classmates get kidnapped, I probably would have had to have been driven to school every single day. Hello, trauma. Yeah. As a, I, In elementary school, I used to ride my bike to school because I lived really close. And oh. so this feels relatable. It feels close to home. Thank you for nobody taking Morgan. 
They would return me, don't worry. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I would annoy the shit out of them. <laughs> but her stepfather, Carl, also witnessed this. And Carl was in the garage at the time. And he knew he wasn't able to get his keys and whatever fast enough. So he grabbed his bicycle and chased down the car. But he couldn't keep up with them. Oh. Yeah. And so, like, he eventually called the po- he called the police. And the FBI was brought in. And, like, huge searches were done. But in the beginning, Carl, as well as JC's biological dad, were both suspects, but both were eventually cleared. JC's biological father didn't even know he had a child, so that cleared him oh immediately. God. Yep. Yeah. And then Carl was cleared after passing multiple polygraph tests. And I mean, in my opinion, he was inside the garage and then chased them on a bike. Like, I don't think he was involved. Carl. I know, poor guy. Imagine the conversation with the bio dad, though. Like, oh, surprise, you have a kid and she just got abducted. Like, what? Yeah, then you're like, uh, That's a hold up. <laughs> exactly. In the days and weeks following her abduction, there were massive searches and rescue efforts made, and it even made national news. And South Lake Tahoe was covered in pink ribbons, JC's favorite color as a symbol of hope. Meanwhile, JC would be imprisoned in the backyard of her kidnapper's home over 100 miles away. Here's a little bit of background on the piece of shit that took JC and his shitty wife. Philip Greg Garrido was born on April 5th, 1951. And then we skip forward because I don't really give a shit about his shitty life. Mm-hmm. In 1972, <laughs> he was charged with drugging and raping a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. But the charges were dropped since the case could not go to trial because the girl didn't want to testify at trial, which is totally valid. Very rude so of them. Why is that... It can't go to trial if she wouldn't testify? Yeah, sometimes if they don't have evidence other than a complaint, they can't do anything about it. Oh. Yeah. That sucks. And since it was the 70s, they probably didn't have much evidence. Right. A year later, in 1973, he married a high school classmate, Christine Murphy. Murphy accused him of domestic violence, and he allegedly kidnapped her when she tried to leave him. Oh, my God. Things sane people do. In 1976, Garrido kidnapped 25-year-old Catherine Calloway from South Lake Tahoe, which is where he ends up kidnapping JC from later. He drove her to a warehouse in Reno where he assaulted her for hours until a cop caught Cop saw a car outside of the abandoned warehouse and went to the door. Calloway was able to ask the cop for help, and Garita was arrested. Oh my gosh, thank goodness someone was, showed up. I know, like, thankfully that cop, like, actually even cared, like... What... Right, he bothered to go check to see what was going on. 
Yeah, because most of the times, like, I mean, like, they're trespassing, so cops will sometimes, but, like, how, how do you know that a car outside of an abandoned building isn't supposed to be there, like? Right, like, maybe it's someone looking to buy the building or whatever. Yeah, or they just abandoned their car there, like. <laughs> right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah. He was charged and convicted on both state and federal charges since he crossed state lines. A 1976 psych eval stated that he was a, quote, sexual deviant and chronic drug abuser. Shocker. Mm Mm-hmm. In March of 1977, Garrido was convicted of his crimes, and in June of that year, he began serving his 50-year sentence in Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. While serving time in Leavenworth, he meets... Miss Nancy Bocanegra. Nancy is there visiting her uncle, who is also serving time. They start to date, and they are married at Leavenworth in 1981. Oh, prison romance. Mm, so cute. Mm. In January of 1988, he was released from Leavenworth to the state of Nevada to serve the next sentence. So he was supposed to serve 50 years and only did about 11. Excuse me? Yeah. What the fuck? And this is one of the first big fuck-ups in, like, I mean, other than the other obvious, like, beginning mistake with, like, not being able to try him for the rape of that girl. But Mm -hmm. this is, like, the first really big one that, in my opinion, like, directly kind of ends up letting him out but it's stupid whatever so he only serves 11 of the 50 years in um kansas where he's supposed to be and then in nevada he's supposed to serve up to five years but is released after seven months why exactly (laughs) (sighs) he was released with a gps ankle monitor and he was paroled to the Contra Costa County August 26th of 1988. The ankle monitor was supposed to be tracked by the parole officers, but obviously was not checked frequently enough. Great. Because also, not for nothing, he kidnaps her 170 miles away from his house. Right, so why was he there in the first place if he had an ankle monitor? If you're tracking him by GPS, there has to be a way for you to know that he left that certain radius that he's not supposed to leave. Seems like like a lot of psychopaths, he kind of slipped through the cracks. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's I'm that. Sure he was which is charming as hell. Yeah. Another super fun fuck up right there. Although throughout the years, state and federal officers were visiting the house and checking in, but never checked the backyard where JC was locked away. Oh my god. Yeah, so they have like body cam videos and videos that um, the Garritos like took of inside their own home of cops being there, like inside the house and like in the backyard. Oh. And I'll describe the backyard in a little bit, but, or I'll just do it now. Basically, it was, like, a house and then a yard, and then further back, there was more of, like, another fence. 
and a bunch of trees. And then back there was just like a bunch of tents and weird like sheds and storage containers and shacks and stuff. And that's kind of where she was. Mm. Yeah. And it had been like wicked overgrown. So you couldn't really like see it from the outside. So like they couldn't see it, but still like check. Yeah. Garrido's father said that he was a good boy growing up, but that a motorcycle accident changed him. Also, TBI, TBI. I know. Traumatic brain injury. Seriously, we gotta stop with that shit. Yeah. Your head. Um, and he was also a frequent user of crystal meth and LSD. Great. Also, before we get into it, really quick, super fun facts about Philip. <laughs> he claims to be able to control sound with his mind. Oh. And has made a device that made it so others can witness him controlling sound with his mind. Great. He also is a singer. And sings religious-themed and romantic country songs. What a combo. Yeah. He's a bit of, like, a weird religious dude, and essentially, like, I don't know. There's some weird stuff that went on with it, but man's is not good. Nope. The drive to the Garrido's house is long, and JC is in and out of consciousness from being tased. When they arrive, he makes her strip down out of her favorite pink outfit, and puts a blanket over her head and walks her out to the back of the backyard to a soundproof shed slash recording studio where he recorded his music. Gotcha. There he handcuffs her with those fuzzy play handcuffs and Mm. locks her in the shed naked. Mm. The only thing that she has to remind her of home is a tiny little butterfly ring that she hides from her captors for 18 years. Oh. Yeah, it's a cute little ring, too. I'll try to find a picture of it. That's dedication to save something for 18 years. Dude, I know. And I don't think I added anything about this, but at the end, when, like, you see her, she's, like, being interviewed, and everybody's like, you just look so young. And she's like, well, I mean... I didn't go in the sun for 18 years. Right. So, like, she didn't get any sun exposure, so she's barely aged. In one of the videos, she's, like, almost 40 years old, and she looks like she's maybe, like, 27. Oh, my God. Yeah, but she also said that her eyes are wicked sensitive to sunlight, too. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, mine are, and I go outside all the time. (laughs) Same. Just from having light eyes. Yep. (laughs) And contacts. Yep. Oh my Uh, gosh, she does look so young. Yeah. All right, it gets bad again. Oh God. Yep. One day he brought her a milkshake, and she says that this is when she knew that he was pure evil. He used it as a weird bribe, like bargaining chip type of shit, because that was when he was going to rape her for the first time. Yeah, and at this time, JC was 11 and did not know what sex was, but she knew that what was happening was not okay. Poor baby. I know. 
Garrido brings a small TV for her to watch. It was only on the infomercial and that channel that sells jewelry. Um, but she talks about how hearing other voices helped her keep up, keep her head up and stay sane. Mm-hmm. I was watching one of her interviews with Diane Sawyer and she, I like laughed because it was like sad. Um, and I didn't know how to react, but, um, in an interview with Diane Sawyer, she says that her quote, only friend was a spider on the wall. She named Bianca. Oh, Bianca. Yeah. And that she would rip the window coverings off with her teeth to look at the phone, the moon. She had to use her teeth because her hands were still in handcuffs. Oh. Yeah. And I guess her and her mom used to look at the moon and stars together. Poor baby. I know. It's heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. I don't know. About one month after he first rapes JC, he moves her into a different shed in the yard. He tells her that, quote, demon angels, voices in his head, said she was supposed to help him with his sexual problems and that she was saving other little girls, end quote. Which is just so sad because, one, she doesn't understand that he is, like, suffering from some type of delusions. Right. And also, like, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I guess if I'm doing this, I'm saving other little girls for having to suffer through this, too. And it's like, no. No. They sh- nobody should be suffering through that. This is just a piece of shit. Like, ugh. It makes me sad. Makes me sad, too. He would dress her up in tight clothing and put makeup on her face. Um, This typically happened during his binges. These were one or two day long periods where he would do copious amounts of meth and just abuse her. Um, Just fucking awful. Like, Mm -hmm. ugh. As Diane Sawyer says, 1,020 days into her captivity. (laughs) Um, In April of 1994, the Gritos gave JC more time without handcuffs and her first warm meal. This is when they inform her that they think she is pregnant. Oh, my God. Yeah. On August 18th, 1994, at the age of 14, JC gave birth to her first daughter in captivity. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she gives birth at 14. I'm not going to share her daughter's names. I didn't find... I don't think I found them anywhere. They were definitely in one of the podcasts I listened to. But she, in one of the interviews, says that she doesn't like to share her daughter's names because they want their privacy, which totally understands, so we're going to leave the names out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, After her daughter is born, Garrido rapes her less frequently, but still whenever he goes on his meth binges. And the last time that he would rape her is the conception of her second daughter. And her second daughter is born on November 13th, 1997, when JC was 17. Mm. Yeah. For JC, after her babies babies were born, she had a reason to keep pushing forward. She wasn't alone in this anymore, and she knew that she had to protect them. Somehow, she had to protect them from this monster. Mm -hmm. 
using her limited up to fifth grade education and a few things that she learned on TV, Dugard set up a little school in the prison backyard to try to educate her daughters as much as possible. Which, I guess you can say worked out because both of her daughters ended up attending college after they were released. Wow. Yeah. Over the years, Dugard and her daughters were given more freedom around the house and property. In a lot of interviews, she talks about why she could not run. And you aren't just scared. It's beyond that point. It's just pure terror. After all that abuse, you're so terrified it's almost impossible to run. Uh, they discuss how Elizabeth Smart, who was the girl, um, I forget if it was in Colorado or Utah, she was... Uh, Salt Lake City. Yeah, she was abducted by that dude who's a little bit of a nutcase, um, and she was seen walking down the street with her captors after nine months, but was too afraid to scream. Yeah, I read her book. Oh, It was insane. Yeah, I was originally, one of the, when I was looking, thinking of doing an, another abduction case, I was thinking of her, and then I realized that nobody that, like, of the major true crime podcast, I think, have covered J.C. Dugard, so I was like, eh, we'll figure, we'll do this one. Yeah. Now we're gonna jump forward a whole bunch, because that's where the fun parts are. So, in 2009, UC Berkeley police officers responded to reports of a man shouting religious nonsense on campus. Great. We had that at UNH. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) They used to hand out tiny pamphlets. Yeah, they were. It was the Old Testament, and it would say, where will you end up? (laughs) Heaven or hell? (laughs) said it on there in a font that looked like that yeah heaven or hell exactly (laughs) with fire (laughs) they'd make you like spin a wheel and it was so weird (laughs) so the man was with two young girls and officers noted that they looked sullen and something just seemed really off At the station, they get the man's name and saw that he is a sex offender in contact at his parole office. Garrido had violated his parole by leaving that specific radius of his house uh, that he wasn't allowed to leave without permission from his parole officer. And he had also violated his parole by being with minors. (laughs) So how did he continually get away with it then? They just didn't know. Like, they weren't, they didn't know that there was kids living in the backyard. And well, yeah. they weren't keeping track of where he was going, obviously. Yeah, but, like, he broke his parole to an abductor. Yeah. And it sucks. The only reason, like, they found out is because he was on the campus spouting stuff. And right. one of the he was causing a scene. Yeah, and one of the officers was like, these girls look off like something looks off so when they ran his name that's when they contacted his parole officer gotcha yep so the next day Garrido Dugard and her two daughters went into the parole office to answer some questions first JC gives the officers a fake name that the Garridos gave her which was Alyssa 
And she tells him that she is actually hiding out at the Gritos with her daughter from her abusive husband. And luckily, the officers kind of just waited her out. And eventually, she wrote down her real name on a piece of paper. The officers asked her if she wanted to talk to or see her mom. She was like, wait, I can do that? (laughs) They were like, yeah, we'll get you there. And they arranged for her to see her mom the next day. Wow. Both Nancy and Philip Grito were arrested for the kidnapping, rape, and false imprisonment of J.C. Dugard, along with other crimes. Philip is held without bail, and Nancy's bond was set at $30 million. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In February of 2011, lawyers for both Garitos say they made full com- confessions There is a lot of back and forth on them confessing and then not and them pleading guilty and then not. And honestly, fuck them. Um, It's also they had court appointed lawyers. So there's one where they like fired the lawyer and they had to find a new one. So it's just like a whole bunch of back and forth. And it was just a big press. They didn't represent themselves. Honestly, I think if they were genuinely even the slightest bit intelligent, they would have tried to. But they were just not smart people so they didn't i mean i don't really consider people that try to represent themselves smart (laughs) oh no usually it's just the criminals that have like a slightly higher iq so then yeah yeah idiots but yeah i just wish that they would have pled guilty so that the whole family didn't have to go through all that shit and just go to jail and suffer Nancy was facing up to 241 years, but was able to get it reduced by claiming that she was under the influence of him and drugs. Drugs. And, I mean, there's always the card of being, like, a victim that's in a relationship with somebody who then also has to victimize other people. But she married him full well knowing who he was. And then... Prison romance. Yeah. And then there's also, like, a big theory that she was the one who, like, went... Like, she went with him to get her, first of all. But also, like, she was the one who, like, scouted her out and found JC for him. My God. Like, a day or so before. So, she's not innocent. (laughs) No. God, no. On April 28th, 2011, both Nancy and Philip pled guilty, and Philip was sentenced to 431 years to life, and Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life. Both of them are eligible for parole in August of 2034, which isn't long enough. That's, what, 23 years in jail if they get parole, but... That's not enough. No. JC did not attend the sentencing of her captors, but she sent a letter along with her mother that she read. Wow. The state of California granted JC Dugard $20 million after an investigation found chilling incompetence within the police force and a massive lack of oversight from the parole board. And then she also, I think, sued the federal government because it was technically the parole officers were under federal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm not sure how that one ended up. When talking about her abduction, JC is always asked why she didn't run. And there are so many reasons why people don't run or can't run away in these situations. We need to frame it better. She talks about the things he told her to keep her in there, which included large and vicious attack dogs outside that would basically eat her, and the terrible people that he would sell her to if she did anything wrong, including people that would just keep her in cages or sell her to even worse people or do the things that he was doing but worse. Mm -hmm. JC talks about how she hates the term Stockholm Syndrome, since it infers that the victim has fallen in love with their captor. She says this is, quote, degrading, having my family believe I was in love with this captor and wanted to stay with him, end quote. She does talk about how, like, foul and, like, physically ill it made her feel to think that, like, her family or, like, anybody might think that she had, like, developed feelings for this man and woman because, like, she needed to survive. JC states that she adapted to survive. She was always aware that he was her captor, making sure to analyze her moods and everything to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. And then this is just like a big high five for JC. Um, she, in the 2016 interviews with Diane Sawyer that I was watching, she seems to be doing so well. Like, <laughs> wow. It was crazy. She said that she had fully processed everything that she had gone through with the help of her therapist, Dr. Rebecca Bailey. Dr. Rebecca Bailey also owns a ranch where her parents, her patients can participate in animal therapy. JC and her mother attend horse therapy where Dr. Bailey's motto is, quote, you have to stare fear in the face until it cannot hurt you anymore. Since her release, JC has written two books, the first titled A Stolen Life, a memoir, which came out in 2011 and is about her life in captivity. And I really want to read this book and I really wanted to read it for this episode, but obviously I didn't have time, Fleek. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can report back when you read it. Oh, yeah. And then her second book came out in 2016 and is titled Freedom, My Book of Firsts. And it's all about living her life since her freedom and everything. And JC's also made sure that her daughters are open and able to talk and even joke about everything and their time in captivity. She believes that having processed everything doesn't mean that you can't be sad, but it means that you don't have to hold on to it anymore. Wow. Yeah, and that is the story of JC Lee Dugard and her kidnapping in 18-year imprisonment. That is crazy. Good for her for being able to seek help and cope after she was released. I know. I can't even imagine what kind of trauma. Seriously, I was like, oh, wow, she seems to be having such a good life. And they kept asking her, like, oh, do you think you're going to have a romantic relationship at any point in time? And she was like, I don't really see the need for it. Right. Like, whatever. She also spent so much of her life not being able to do anything, so now she's just doing everything. Right, she can do all the things. Yeah, and, I mean, they showed a lot of her at this therapy ranch, and she got her nice little settlement deal, so she can, luckily doesn't have, like, hopefully doesn't have to work and 
can spend time with her daughters and doing things that she loves and yeah. all that. Well, you did a great job. Thanks, dude. It that was, was a, interesting. That's, a one. 18, a, that's literally an entire like childhood gone. Oh, yeah. And not for nothing, like her second kid was born, oh my God, where did it go? 97 and they were found in 2009 so her old her youngest daughter was 12 oh my gosh her oldest daughter was 15 so like they're like know what's going on like they weren't like children yeah it's insane it's crazy and it's sad and there's tons of i tried to find um there's supposed to be, like, a documentary about it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And there are a few good interviews with her that are really interesting. And it's not, like, a lot of it's just, like, fun fluff information that I didn't include because it's not really related to everything. But it's really nice to see, and it, like, really warms your heart just to see, like, how well she's doing now and how, like, well she moved on and is, like, it's important to laugh at the things and, like just fully process and understand everything you've been through and it's okay to not let them take a hold of your life anymore. Just thought that was a great message. I would definitely be interested in reading her book. Yeah, especially not just like the first one because that sounds like very draining, but the second one sounds like very lovely book of like how to get yourself back in a good place after bad times. Is that the one called Freedom? Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the only one that I knew about. I didn't realize she had another one. Yeah, so she had her first one, and it was basically her whole story about her captivity. And then she has mm-hmm. her second one, which is her just living her free life and getting to do new things. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, a uh, pretty dark story to start off your week. You're welcome. <laughs> And you guys know the deal. Stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes. You can find us wherever you're currently listening. Yeah. Or you can branch out. if you, That's up to you. Whatever. Yeah. We're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod. On Twitter at Monday Mornings P. And we have a Facebook page. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, Email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com or DM us. Or just text us because most of you probably know us. We have a pretty consistent. <laughs> yeah. People that listen every week. <laughs> Thanks, this guys. This is true. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. Share us on your stories. Tell your friends. Yeah. You know the deal. As always, start your Monday mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Ba-bam. Ba-bam. <laughs> Happy birthday, Morgan! <laughs>